back to the Lennial Canon. I'm Kira. And I'm Adam. And Kira, with the rise of Calico Critters, I, I'm i just saying, Barry has been doing it since day one. When but, I tell you I had that written as a fucking note in my, in my uh, <laughs> notes on this movie. I... <laughs> I for like first thing this morning I texted Kira I have a great joke for the pod tonight um no literally I mean all the everyone calls Barry Speck a schmuck but then you know 14 years later all the girlies are collecting calico critters not so <laughs> schmuckish now are you uh-huh like no but anyways we're talking dinner for schmucks um the what is this Jay what's his name Jay Roach yeah, director Jay Roach, the director of the Austin Powers films, and Meet the Parents, right? Oh wait, no. Yeah. Wait, yes, oh, yes. Wait. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just second guessed that. Okay. Um, yeah, so very uh very Z canon uh director uh, to an mm-hmm. extent. Um, now this is an Adam pick, uh, mm-hmm. as you can probably tell, because why would Kira ever pick this movie? Um, and to be honest, Kira. It, this did not come from a place of deeply wanting to rewatch Jennifer Schmucks. It's just I was looking at the watch or the poll list, and I was like, just like I was like scrolling and scrolling, and I saw the poster for this, and I'm like, oh yeah, Jennifer Schmucks. Like I, I love Paul Rudd, I love Steve Carell. I saw that movie. I kind of want to watch a comedy from like the early 2010s, and that's what this is. And I, <laughs> I don't know why I picked it. Um, because in retrospect, this movie's not uh, not amazing, to say the least. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say, it does kind of encapsulate a lot of what I find interesting about early 2010s comedies in a weird way. And... I remember seeing this in theaters, like, opening weekend. And I remember liking it when I was, like, 13, I think. When, no, I was, like, 12 when this movie came out. Um, so, I like, I remember liking it. It was, like, summer 2010. Because I remember it was, like, when Inception was in theaters. And, like, Scott Pilgrim was about to come out, just to, like, put a time frame on it. And this just, like, one of those movies I saw, like... I'm pretty sure I went, like, back to school shopping. And I was at the mall. And then my mom was like, I like Steve Carell. Let's go see this movie. And then I was like, okay. Likely thing for a mom to say. Yeah. My mom is funny because she does not like The Office, but she does like Steve Carell, which I find to be a very funny dichotomy. Likely thing for a mom to say. No, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she loved this movie. I liked it when I was 12. Um, I have not rewatched it since, if you can believe that. Um, and... <laughs> Although I feel like I remembered it pretty well as it was playing out. Like, as it was, like, going, I was like, yeah, I remember all this. Um, there are a few times where, like, I had to, like, have a freeze frame for, like, whatever actor popped up. Because I was like, oh, shit. Uh, a lot of yeah. baby faces in this. It truly is the, oh, that guy type of cast. Like, yeah. every person that pops up, oh, that guy, you know. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of them are, like, really talented people that, like, kind of were on the prefaces of, like, popping off, like, by the time this came out. Like, off the top of my head, like, Chris O'Dowd, Zach Galifianakis, like, uh, 
uh, Christian Skull, uh, like, let's see, I'm looking at the, Ron Livingston, well, Ron Octavia Livingston, Spencer. Oh, oh my god, yes, I totally forgot about that, they had that one, I think, got me the most, upon, upon the watch today, I had no clue she was in this, uh, Randall Park is in it for like five seconds, but it's nice to just see baby Randall Park, uh, Nick Kroll's in it mm-hmm. at the beginning, um, yeah, there's a lot of like, just like, oh, that guy, um, but yeah, and I mean, you know, Paul Rudd, you can't really go wrong with Steve Carell. Really stacked cast. Um, it is a remake of a French 90s movie that got like a lot of accolades back in the day. Um, I've never seen the original, uh, so I can't. Which is like... a very random thing. Like, See, I feel like yeah. <laughs> there are like a weird amount of like american films that like after the fact you find out like oh that was like a foreign film mm-hmm. like remember when like they were gonna remake tony erdman was it with like uh was it jack nicholson or was it i forgot who the it was supposed to be yeah it was like jack nicholson and i think like Kristen wig or something which honestly I, yeah. honestly that might have slayed but it's yeah. just very strange when it's just like, okay, we're going to make an American comedy remake of this international film because yeah. nobody wants to watch it with subtitles and everyone wants to see it with their fave people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't really think of an instance where it was, like, good. And, I mean, you know, anyone feel free to correct me. But, like, I – because I, when I think of stuff like this, I think of that uh, – the Will Ferrell, uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, but Force Majeure. Uh, I think it was down, Downhill or down, Downhill. Is that what it's called? Uh, their Force Majeure remake. Um, totally mid. Like, just – not, not necessarily terrible, just kind of, like – you know it had its moments but like why does it exist yeah i mean it wasn't like without any merit but it just kind of was like well if you're gonna really remake it at least like do something interesting with it because i remember when because i mean i force measure is like a i think a great satire like it's a great great movie but um and i remember like even when they announced downhill i was kind of like okay like there's something to do there with like because the, the the original force measure really like tackles like societal expectations and gender roles and parenthood and like all these things and like class and uh you know manhood and all these things and i think um you know if you added like an american spin on that and you could you know add it through like the american perspective of like the economy and like uh feminism and all these things it could be really interesting but the movie just does like none of those things in fact it just like tries to replicate the same jokes but like through an American lens, and it just does not work at all. Um, I cannot speak to, you know, like I said, this movie, because I have not seen the original. But I can only imagine this is the same <laughs> the same thing. Um, because it doesn't feel like it's uh, trying to go for anything deeper. From what I've read about the original, is that it is genuinely like a satire on, like the upper class and how they look down upon like uh like anyone else below them whether it's financially or like intellectually or anything and uh this just seems this is just like a silly american comedy which like hey i'm i can vibe with an american stupid ass comedy but i don't know i i maintain the stance that if you're gonna remake it like do something a little bit interesting which i don't know 
this one doesn't really do a lot. <laughs> I think the cultural commentary aspect of it definitely like falls flat because I don't really understand like what they're trying to go for here. Like because it's like like I don't know like the movie's just like way too boring and dumb to even like go into like cultural criticism. <laughs> like Yeah. I yeah, I like I texted you during it uh what was my exact wording? You were like uh, a girl this movie so is so boring. Like get to dinner already, schmucks. <laughs> um yeah, so I I was cooking dinner while watching this, so I was already in a pissed off mood because I was trying to make tempura cauliflower uh, and the batter kept falling off of it while Steve Carell was screaming in my AirPods. And uh, I just was, yeah, I was already in a bad mood watching this, so it just didn't really add to it. Like, talk about a dinner for schmucks, am I right? Skill issue. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I uh I mean yeah, that's not a great ideal uh time to watch no. this movie. I no. yeah, I watched it early in the morning, uh right around the work time and uh you could say I started off my day right. Um no. Uh yeah. it's I mean, I don't know. I mean going to like my point about it being it it does kind of sum up both what I find interesting about early 2010s comedies, but also on the flip side summarizes kind of like the most generic of what they can be because to your point about like how it could be maybe about like class and like, it could be about like these like things or like something about society or something. It just instead opts to be literally every other PG 13 studio comedy ever made (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. because they all like relatively have the same message either about like being yourself or if it's a rom-com, it's about being confident with who you're with or, you know, finding the one. Like, this one it just kind of has, like, all those things, like, wrapped up in it. Like, it's just, like, a very generic, like, you know, stuck-up guy learns to let loose by a slightly dumber, outgoing guy. And also he has, like, not even relationship problems, just, like, I mean, they're not even, like, issues. They're just, like, self-inflicted things like he's like he's pretty much the most least relatable guy by the moment this movie starts and that's saying something because i think in the early 2010s paul rudd was like the go-to everyman mm-hmm. for these types of movies so for you to like fumble the relatability factor i feel like is kind of like that's a big sin in a movie like this yeah um i saw this when i was in probably in high school when I was in my like Paul Rudd and Steve Carell era um, where I was just kind of like watching anything with them in it. And when I was like catching up on like 2010s comedies, the only thing I really remembered about it was the mice. Right. Um, Which are honestly impressive. Yeah. I mean, like it's cool. Um, uh, Steve Carell is like upon rewatch he's basically just serving Nicolas Cage in Dream Scenario like they're the same person do you agree? 
Um, I mean, not as much of a schmuck, but like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get I get what you're going for. Like the the like look of it is the like, look. Yeah, the yeah. vibe. I don't know. Um, I get what you mean. Like I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I the thing is with like his character here is that he's not. I mean, I think just performance-wise, Steve Carell is very good at this movie. Like he, he's always on point, like comedically. Like his performance, he's never given a bad performance. I don't think. Uh, and neither is Paul Rudd. I mean, they're both like top of the line comedic actors. Like they, they, they can do this in their sleep, and they kind of do. Um, but this is kind of one of those situations where he's. I, I, I don't think they leaned too far either way. Like, they didn't make him sympathetic enough to where I actually gave a shit about this guy. But they also didn't make it so absurd that it was just, like, actually cringeworthy or it was actually, like, endearing or actually, like, just... Like, I don't know. It just... It was only kind of, like, mildly weird. Like, it was only kind of, like, mildly stupid. Like, it never goes mm-hmm. far enough in any direction. Whereas I feel like there were, like, so many avenues for it to take. It just doesn't, like, really, I don't commit to its premise. Until the end. I mean, the ending kind of does. But, like, for most of this movie, it's just, the situations they get into are, like, completely stupid. But it's not because he's stupid. It's because the writing is stupid. Yeah. It's about, like, a half hour too long. Like, you can't be promising a dinner for schmucks and then it takes an hour and a half to get to the said dinner. Yeah. And uh, it's just, like, the most typical, like, 20, 2000s, 2010s. Like, oh, I, I want to get married to my girlfriend, but something is holding us back. Oh, she's cheating on me. Oh, I'm cheating on her. Oh, like... It's just like, like, why do we care? Why do we care about these people? Why do we care about any of these people in this movie? Um, It's just the material is just so, like, it could be anybody in these roles. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and And I'm not even I'm not even going to say it's disappointing because I don't know what I expected. (laughs) Well, I think, um, like, I, I think that's the worst stuff in the movie is, I mean, you could honestly trim down all the, like, relationship anxiety stuff, and you would have, like, an 80-minute movie, <laughs> and it would be way better for it, I think, because there, there's actually some moments in the movie that I think are pretty funny, but it's just so bloated with, like, other shit that does not need to be there, like, that, um... everything with uh, Paul Rudd's, like, stalker slash ex or whatever is just, like not funny it's really not funny um i'll do respect to lucy punch but it's just it's not it doesn't work at all like that the entire bit about um her sending like ass pics and then like barry prints it out and he's like looking at the butts in the lobby and then it just so happens that the one person whose butt resembles the butt in the picture being like paul red's girlfriend like i you see it a mile away and it's just like it's the dumbest like early 2010s trope to ever you know happen. i thought i i thought that part was kind of funny i will say okay okay <laughs> i the, i don't know of the whole movie i thought that was that was fine i don't know i just thought that was like it, it, it's largely just about it kind of represents the idea that i was bringing up about like how 
none of it feels organic. It just feels like really forced, like writing in situations and forced, um, just forced conflict, which that's the worst thing you can do in a movie. I think really screenwriting wise is have your conflict or, uh, central dynamic feel forced. And this movie, there's not, and and I get, again, it's a studio comedy. You get, you have to have like some kind of like forgiveness for it to an extent, if you just want to laugh. But then again, if that's the case, then make it funny. And it's like, I mean, it's not the most unfunny movie I've ever seen. Like I got some, you know, giggles here and there, but it's, I mean, to your point, it's way too long. I think that's the, the biggest thing is that it, it just, it's way too long. If it was like a short 80 minutes, I think I can forgive a lot of this, mm-hmm. but it takes up way too much time. Yeah. And, um, I, we were discussing before we started recording, um, you were watching it at work and pausing it in between. I was cooking dinner and trying to eat it while I was watching this. It feels like it's three hours long. It's like just under two, but it feels like it's like three and a half hours long. Yeah, yeah, it it, it does. I mean, I mean, it's what? It's like an hour 58, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, I don't know. I mean, to your point about like, you don't even get to the dinner until like 90 minutes into the movie. And you could, I think a complete like rehaul this movie would be like, make the actual dinner like 45 to 50 minutes long. Like have a big, like have several different comedic sequences take place within the dinner. Like have the appetizers be, like the socializing be like a part of it. And then have the actual dinner be a set piece. And then the aftermath of the dinner be a set piece. Like have a majority of the movie take place at the night of the dinner like why are you not doing that because so many of these situations that the that the writers write and again i I don't know how much of it is borrowed from the actual you know original movie but i can't imagine it's much if the original movie is this acclaimed like because this totally just feels like american screenwriting 101 for comedies like it just it it (laughs) really does and it feels like um especially the zach alfanakis stuff it feels like he they got so lucky that they cast him when the hangover was like coming out and they were just like, okay, we have to like really amplify his role because of the, uh, the hangover. And I mean, he's not bad in the movie. He's like, his performance isn't bad, but the writing is bad. Like it's not like they do nothing. It feels like really like late draft rewrites to accommodate for a, uh, overnight popular actor. Um, yeah. Yeah. It um yeah, exactly what you said about Zach Galifianakis. Like I truly feel like in the 2010s he was just playing the same character over and over again. I still kind of feel like he does. I don't even know what he's in now or in the past few years, I don't know. But it really just felt like they were writing him in as like literally if you like strung together a bunch of 2010s comedies you could probably convince somebody that like who has never seen like a 2010s comedy you could probably convince them that like there's a like hangover cinematic universe <laughs> yeah and, like, i mean he... <laughs> what's his name alan yeah alan hangover? Hangover, yeah how did i remember that okay but i you could probably convince somebody that like alan is in every like yeah yeah like it's it's just the same cinematic universe i mean yeah and entirely because a lot of these movies just wrote it with um 
with that kind of like character like blueprint in mind you know what i mean like um and and like to an extent i don't like entirely blame them because if it's like a marketing game like you're gonna want to like capitalize on like arguably the biggest american comedy in the last like 10 to 20 years like it's just the fact of the matter but at least like have the material be good like if you're gonna recycle some of the same stuff okay then write some funny jokes and i the only funny thing about his character isn't even the writing it's like his stupid laugh where his face gets red because it's like that shows me that he's like committed to the bit even when the bit's not funny because like his like face being like absurdly red is funny but guess what that's i mean it might be in the screenplay but that's entirely dependent on the the strength of the actor it has nothing to do with the writing mm-hmm. itself and in that moment Zach Galifianakis fully goes for it and you're like oh shit this is funny uh this is like an actual comedic moment but then it quickly cuts to like you know some other shit it feels like improv um I don't know it it, it largely just doesn't work in that sense and also like a big big trope with these movies uh like a big like uh overarching like uh thing is that they always hinge on like a promotion at the job it's usually a hedge fund it's usually like a yeah a hedge fund or like some kind of like just finance place or something like that it's always the same shit like suit and tie needs a promotion um it's always some bruce greenwood motherfucker like that's <laughs> that's the boss yeah. every time yeah. um always oh, it's always like christian christian shawl being like we gotta move floors like no literally as the assistant. <laughs> yeah no yeah i mean it's 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 the same thing all the time i mean there's definitely an alternative version of this movie where it's like jason bateman and uh i don't know Jason Bateman and who's another Steve Carell type? Because there's the because mm. so just based on Charlie Day, horrible bosses. I was I was gonna, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to just copy horrible bosses. But it, it would work. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's the funny thing about this is that there's the archetype is just very broadly um, exemplified by just the poster which is every 2010s comedy has this dynamic. You have the Paul Rudd type and the Steve Carell type. Mm. And, and, you know, you could Jason Bateman, Paul Rudd. That, like, that's the same genre. Like, Vince Vaughn's probably in that wheelhouse. Uh, mm. Oh, I, I got it. It's going to J- Jason Bateman, Will Ferrell. There you go. That, that's it. It's like... He, I feel like Will Ferrell the, is a comedic actor, but he's not, like wacky you know he can be i mean it just depends on the like material like he's but i agree like his best stuff is not like his wacky stuff because like the great thing about ricky bobby and um like anchorman specifically is that he plays it completely straight like he doesn't Mm -hmm. play ron burgundy like it's a joke like he plays it like the joke is happening around him and Ron Burgundy's the smartest guy in the room. That's how he plays it. And that's why it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But I have seen, like, some, uh, you know, Will Ferrell comedies where it's just, like, completely. Like, Semi-Pro is kind of, like, you know, where he goes fully 
wacky, which I don't like Land of the Lost is one of those where he just kind of goes full tilt. But then again, those are his worst movies. So, you know, maybe that's a case against like this kind of. I don't know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this wasn't an interesting perspective for Steve Carell because. I mean, we talk about this a lot when we talk about Steve Carell movies, but I think the last time we talked about it was maybe Crazy Stupid Love. But this was like right around the time he was leaving the office. I can't remember if this came out like when he when he was like currently like leaving or if he just announced it or if he had actually. I think he left in 2011, if I'm not not mistaken. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but Mm. yeah, please fact check me. But. Uh, either way, it was around the time. Like it was at least like known that it was happening when this movie came out, and this was kind of like an interesting predicament where it was like, okay, people like see this movie and they question like, is it worth it to leave the office if this is what you're doing? And like largely, I think the answer is no because I remember this year, uh, like in 2010, the two big movies were, or for him, it was Date Night which we'll cover one day and this, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I don't really remember date night that much either. I mean, I remember like the broad strokes of it, but I haven't seen it since 2010. I don't think, um, neither were like, let's just say neither are comedy classics. And arguably Michael Scott is like the most recognizable TV comedic character of all time. I would say, uh, I don't know if that's fair, but at least in the Mount Rushmore, so it's kind of funny that he, like, you know, I mean, I know they were outside forces at play, but he left arguably the biggest sitcom of all time for stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, Date Night, I mean, he had a pretty solid lineup, though. 20. 20- 2008, Horton Hears a Who, Get Smart, then 2010, Date Night, Despicable Me, Dinner for Schmucks, then 2011, Crazy Stupid Love, then Seeking a Friend for the End of the World. Like, he was in solidly, like, three movies a year. Uh, Yeah. Whether it be just, like, voice acting or, and I would say Despicable Me is, like, even though it's a voice acting role, it's probably, like, one of his most iconic roles, I'll be honest. Um. I think, I don't know. It's very strange. And I think that, I'm trying to see, like, where else he had, like, I think, like, through his career, he had a pretty good balance of, like, playing, like, wacky, like, out there roles and, like, more straightforward comedy roles. Um, Yeah. I mean, I... Like, he did, like... He Speaking did, like, Evan Perfect. Almighty and Dan in real life in the same year. Right, yeah. 2007 was a good year for him. I I think, um, I mean, he's always so good. Like, he, he's one of the best that we have, I think. And I, I love, like, his, what he, where he's at, like, right now, because he can do both. Like, he's mm-hmm. really good in just straight comedic roles. But then he'll do something like, uh, like, I thought The Big Short was really good, and I thought he was genuinely really excellent in that movie. Foxcatcher, obviously, fantastic. 
Um, but you know, uh, when you mentioned it, seeking a friend for the end of the world, which is kind of like it's both. It's like a little dramedy. He's really great in that movie. He's really really great in it. Um, I remember I liked him a lot in uh, the way way back because uh, he plays like the kind of douchey stepfather in that movie, which was completely. He's like one of the most likable actors there is. Like you see Steve Carell. You don't like the movie, but you like him, you know, and the way way back asked you to like not like him, <laughs> which I think showed a lot of like range for him. The fact that he could like kind of make himself unlikable uh, in a palatable way. Uh, but this I don't know. This is I mean, I admire this, though, like even if I didn't like really like the movie, I admire him because it seems like at this point he was like testing his abilities as a performer to see like where all he could go. So, like, you know, even though I don't think this is a great movie, I think, again, like I said earlier, his performance is great. And I like the fact that he has such, like, range with his acting that Mm -hmm. he can do, you know, all these things at once. Because, I mean, it is crazy that he had this. And then the next year, Crazy Stupid Love, which is just, like, a really heartfelt, performance that balances drama and comedy perfectly uh yeah i i fucking love steve Carell. <laughs> the more i talk about it do you think that him and dane cook are friends because this is the second time they've collaborated together what was the first uh dan in real life <laughs> uh i i forgot about dan in real life <laughs> uh how could wait, you forget he, wait who is he in dan in real life he plays like the guy that like works out on the lawn or whatever. Oh, do you remember? I I vaguely vaguely remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they they're besties. Um, which by the way, there is nothing more early 2010s than fucking uh Dane Cook. Yeah, Dane Cook and a puppet. That's all you need. Yeah, what's well, what? Uh, Jeff Dunham. Wait. Or is that who you're thinking of? Jeff Dunham? I think I'm mixing up Jeff Dunham and Dane Cook. You totally are. Yeah, I was I like... absolutely am. Okay, sorry to everyone who's just screaming at me through the <laughs> through the headphones. <laughs> um now Jeff Dunham, okay, is what I meant to say. I mean Dane I'll Cook. I'll just is never very... speak again, sorry. Dane Cook also represents the early twenty tens, but Jeff Dunham, I feel like Especially, like, having been a boy in, like, the early 2010s, like, just, like, I remember, like, being in my middle school locker room, and, like, just every boy was, like, quoting, like, Jeff Dunham. Like, they put, like, iFunny clips of, like, his bits. Mm-hmm. Like, these, like, fucking iPhone 2s. <laughs> just, like, in the 480p. Like, saying, this is the funniest shit ever. And just, like, cornering you in the lockers. Like, making you watch it. Um... Mm-hmm. And he's also, like, not at all what I thought he looked like. Because I remember seeing this and being like, that's him. That's Jeff Dunham. Yeah. I was never a Jeff Dunham kid, but... I just kinda... remember the puppets and, like, how awful they looked. Yeah, they're disgusting. Um, but, yeah, I... It was kind of inescapable in the 2010s. Like, mm. all that shit. Um, so, in a way, this movie does feel weirdly, like, time capsule-ish. In the way that it like mm-hmm. represents so many like gross 2010s like things. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, even though I don't really like think this is a good movie, I didn't completely hate watching it in the sense that like how do I put it? Like I, I don't know. I just I we talk about it every time we cover a comedy, but even though this isn't a good movie, I still miss like just consistent theatrical comedies coming out. And like watching one with like an actual like budget and cast that had like a theatrical window and it looks like a real movie. Like I, I just even like having it on in the background, like I could like kind of have some enjoyment just by like on a cocoa melon level, if that makes sense. Because again, we don't get theatrical comedies anymore. We like don't get these movies. Like we don't have the luxury of even getting bad comedies. We don't get any comedies, period. Like are there any coming out this year? Uh, no, I don't know. Not to my knowledge. No. Like, which sucks because we had a good year last year with, um, uh, what, Joyride I thought was good, uh, No Hard Feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked To Anyone But You. Um. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked that, actually, a lot. I, I think about it often. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I off the top of my head, I don't know any comedies that are coming out this year. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of them are just kind of dumped on, like, streaming services. Because, uh, like, I feel like if this movie came out now... I mean, like, now, though, like, a lot of the people that are in this movie are pretty famous. Yeah. Um... I don't know if it would make money. I'll be honest. This feels oh, like this? a streaming no. original. No. I mean, it didn't even it didn't even make profit when it came out in 2010. Like, it, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, I think it did it even break even. Uh, no, it didn't even break even because the budget for some reason was 86.9 million, mm-hmm. uh, and the budget. What, or actually, so no, I'm I'm getting mixed up. The budget was 69 million. The box mm-hmm. office was 86.9 million. So it, it more than broke even, but I don't know if it turned a profit, at least theatrically. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure it did pretty good, like at home. But because this is definitely like a, it has like a blockbuster vibe to it. Yeah. Like the DVD the cover. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. I I mean this was around the time like Redbox was popping off, but there was still like blockbusters and Hollywood videos like you know around at this time mm-hmm. um do you remember the last blockbuster movie you got um I remember when they were closing I bought I think I bought 500 days of summer there that Maybe. was mine that was my last one I'm like looking at my shelf and seeing if I have any that are in blockbuster like cases was blockbuster around when blu-rays were around um yeah i mean it depends because i mean there were a lot of shores that were shuttered before that because like i mean the the closing process started in like 2008 2009 but some stores Mm -hmm. lasted i think as long as 2012 2013 Mm -hmm. um i remember i mean the last one that i bought because my i remember my blockbuster closed in Mm -hmm. 2010 um and i 500 days of summer was the last movie i bought there um i think i went to like a sale in like 2011 to a different one but i don't know if i actually bought anything i think i just like went to like go 
I didn't actually like get anything there. Um, but yeah, like I remember, I remember Hollywood Video because that was my that was my go to as a kid, mm-hmm. and I distinctly like like really vividly like remember the last time I was like parked outside of it, there was like mm-hmm. a giant billboard for Prince of Persia. Or like a window plaster of Prince of Persia, and then right next to that, there's like a Sex in the City two poster on the mm. windows. But then underneath that, it's a closing soon. Everything must go. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's all ending. <laughs> Damn, remember Prince of Persia? I try not to. Um, um when we were, so cool. unfortunately, when we were watching the Eras tour film. Sean, during All Too Well 10-minute version, Sean was reading through the Wikipedia page for that song, and because I told him it was about Jake Gyllenhaal, and at the end of the song, he came to the conclusion that Jake Gyllenhaal, like, he, like, put together the timeline. He was like, Jake Gyllenhaal was making Prince of Persia around that time. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember thinking that, too. He was too busy filming Prince of Persia uh, to put effort into their relationship. Listen, buddy, if I was if I was the Prince of Persia, I wouldn't be thinking about Taylor Swift. I'd be thinking about getting the Santa time right. Okay. Uh, infamously an unadaptable game. Thank you very much. You gotta mm-hmm. prove the haters wrong. Um, but anyways, uh I <laughs> I remember getting the Wii game for Sands of Time when the movie was coming out and getting so hyped for the movie because at, at the uh, age of 12, I did not have any awareness of the uh, absurdity of the fact that he was playing the Prince of Persia. Uh, so I just was fully like, oh my God, it's a video game movie. Uh, and I remember playing the game and thinking it was awesome on the Wii. And I got so excited to see the movie. Um, and I remember going and thinking it was, even at a young age, I was like, that was ass. Like that was complete dog yeah. shit. <laughs> Uh, I'm. It's a Jerry Bruckheimer production. I remember that. Of course. Uh, um, I remember they really sold it as like a pie, like they're like from the producers of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. I we need to get Jerry Bruckheimer shirts. He sells them on his uh like online store. Um, truly don't that is like merch time. that I would love. Yeah, I'd love to wear that. Don't tempt me with a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I um <laughs> I that's a that's a weird movie. 2010 was a weird year for movies. And there's so many movies mm-hmm. from that year that we have not like actually covered. Um uh E Pray Love Anyone. Um <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I don't know if I want to watch that. Um That was a moment. It was, but it's not necessarily for us. Like did you see that movie? Uh no, but I feel like it was such a moment for moms. Like I feel like we should like interview moms on that episode. <laughs> I know my mom went to go see it. I'm pretty sure my mom went to go see it when I saw Scott Pilgrim or something. Mm-hmm. Or like the other guys. Some like it was some movie in that summer where it came out and I went to go see like something with my friend and she went to go mm-hmm. see that. And she like she when I like met up with her after she was like, that changed my life. And I was like, all right, relax, chill. It's not it's not that serious. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, 2010. I mean, have we done Tron Legacy on the pod? No, and I've been wanting to rewatch that lately. Um, How they were actually... 
It's Jared Leto. I know. I know. It's like the most amazing cast too, except for Jared Leto. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm hoping that he plays like a really scummy villain like in Blade Runner 2049. That way you can just like hate him and then like yeah yeah because that's how I like coped with the fact that he was in Blade Runner 2049 because he like yeah he was like a terrible shitty thing. Like I just hope he's like non-existent. Like I hope he's not like not the lead and I hope he's not like substantial, but. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Wait, isn't Imagine Dragons taking over from Daft Punk? I didn't hear that, and I feel like it's a joke. Okay, I hope it's a joke. I hope I'm wrong. I do imagine not want to uh, Imagine if Daft Punk comes back. That would be awesome. Dude, that would be fucking crazy. I, um... Yeah, I mean, I... I, I don't want to be excited. I mean, no, actually, reverse that. Mm. I want to scratch that, reverse it. Um, I want to. I want to be excited. But I just <laughs> here we go, mama. <laughs> here we go, mama. Uh, <laughs> I want to be excited, but I just like I have a bad feeling about it. Um, the way that I just use Wonka memes in my everyday life. Well, something you for, you fail to consider, Kira, is mm. that there's chocolate, and mm, there's no, chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Noodle. Noodle. <laughs> Apple noodle. Uh anyways. I <laughs> so stupid. Um I don't know, there's I, sometimes movies had Jermaine Clement in them. Yeah. Um sometimes <laughs> sometimes movies did. <laughs> You're right. Sometimes sometimes. Um Can I, you guys tell that there's nothing to say about this movie? I'm, well, I'm just like looking at the rest of it. Like I did kind of find I didn't think any of those scenes were particularly funny, but again, it goes to like what I was saying about like how there's something like very oddly specific about this movie to where I didn't hate it. Like each like little scenario is just so like weird and stupid that I was kind of like, okay, like I was kind of interested at least and like whatever the fuck they were trying to do. Like, I was like, all right. Um, and that's how I felt about, like, every time Jermaine Clement showed up. Like, it was just, like, odd. But not, like, in a yeah. schmuck way. Like, in a what are we writing kind of way. Listen, like, what are we doing here? Why wasn't he included in the dinner for schmucks? Because the well, schmucks yeah. were just, like, experimental artists. Technically, that's, like, his character as well. The movie is completely setting that up. Like, it, it really yeah. is. Like, um, uh, although, I mean, it wouldn't have made much sense also for him to be one because it's established pretty early that he's, like, very well-known. So, like, why would he tag along to something like that? Yeah. But but also then again, like, why have him in the movie in the first place? Like, is he just, like, he's just an isolated idiot outside of the dinner? Yeah. Which doesn't make there any was sense. Like... like, I don't know. They could have done, like, interesting, like, cultural criticism of, like, what kind of weird artist, like, if, like, anybody who's a weird artist that isn't financially successful or doesn't contribute to, like, capitalism, because, like, clearly, like, uh, Jemaine Clement's character is marketable. Like, his, like, weird art is marketable and can be used for financial gain. 
the only reason why the other people are considered schmucks is because they can't be used for financial gain. Yeah. So I feel like that could have been an interesting, like, cultural critique. Um, yeah. And they just completely avoided that. Like, I literally just put two and two <laughs> together with that. Um, maybe yeah. that maybe that was in the screenplay and it just didn't happen. Um, I I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's certainly an idea. Like, I, again, I, this movie does, I don't want to say it feels like a first draft. I mean, because I feel like a lot of comedies from this era, uh, or even like the era before it with the 2000s, like they have a lot of like half-baked ideas, but they just mm-hmm. settle for like whatever the fuck. Like, I don't know, just like improv and like stupid shit. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I also, I, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, like, another, like, half-baked thing in it that just, like, didn't connect is, like, the IRS thing, like, I feel like would have been a lot more interesting if it had more of a presence, um, because I feel like they just kind of kept being like, oh, like, you're being audited, like, tax evasion, and it's just, like, they were just kind of, like, throwaway jokes. Yeah. Like, I think the FBI or something should have, like, broken down the doors to that dinner and, like, arrested all of them for, like, tax evasion or something, like, at, like, the financial company. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think, yeah, I mean, because, yeah, that would have been, like, fully absurdist, right? Like, that would have been, like, but I think this, this was one of those weird things where it goes back to the original point about, like, how you're adapting a, or remaking, rather, not even adapting, you're remaking a... Uh, supposedly French cult classic that has like apparently like really biting satire, but you're also and it's also apparently a very independent movie, so it wasn't like you know trying to you know be commercial in any way. But then in the same time, this is Paramount Pictures we're talking about. This is like DreamWorks, you know what I mean? Like they're trying to make this a commercial, like easily accessible PG-13 summer comedy. So like naturally some things are going to get lost in translation, like quite a bit actually. Cause these are like two yeah. things, like that, those are two different things. Like I'm not gonna, that'd be like me remaking an anatomy of a fall as a romantic comedy. Like it's not, like it's not the same thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I, like, I just think, and it's, it's, it's just, it's okay for it to be like a different thing. It's, it is okay. I think a lot of the best like remakes or spinoffs or whatever uh, you can do a reimagining as long as it's actually good on its own merits. But like, this is not really at the end of the day. Uh, and when I say I'm like entertained by it, I don't mean that as like an endorsement. I just find like these movies comforting despite quality. But I like, that's not me saying I think this movie is like actually funny because it's like not. I like honestly, the times I laughed in this movie today and I'm an easy laugh, maybe like five times. And I wouldn't even say I felt good about five of those laughs. Like, I think they were all kind of like, I laughed and then I felt stupid. I felt like a schmuck for laughing. Yeah, I think, honestly, just to sum it all up, like, American films are just too, like, scared to be, like, critiques of capitalism and critiques of, or, like, parody of capitalism and, like, financial people in the upper class and like well they were i feel like i don't know i mean there's an era in the where 2010s they, yeah. yeah no 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's certainly good American satires about all that stuff, but it's definitely not Jennifer Schmucks. Um, And especially, like, there's definitely a point, I think in the 70s and 80s, you would probably find a lot of good ones, maybe the 90s. But somewhere in the 2000s and 2010s, she kind of lost sight of that. And, and, and and like, I mean, as the 2010s evolved, you, you found audiences being more okay with, like, independent cinema. And that's why, like, I think... um, you know, for better or worse, like people really um, embrace like Parasite or something. You know what I mean? Because I, it does show like a craving for like biting satire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there there is an audience for this stuff, but like studios are too afraid to treat, I don't know, moviegoers as like intellectuals. Yeah. Because of the, but again, they're the ones that conditioned us to like expect less so it's kind of like the snake eating its own tail and i think i kind of it all goes back to barbenheimer i think um if anything those movies i never thought i could pair these movies together but here we are um i think those movies you know both making a billion dollars or close to it um you know proved that a lot of things like the thing that i think moviegoers are really craving nowadays are just like movies that are distinct and smart and um you know they value your time because why should you as a moviegoer go out to the theater spend your money spend your time to watch something that is like half-assed and Mm. maybe i don't know maybe we'll get like some biting satires in the future like from an actual like interesting director uh i don't know maybe that's like wishful thinking but I don't know. I, f- I feel good about like the future because I feel like with Oppenheimer making a billion dollars, like the door is like open. Like, wow. Like what if a good movie made a billion dollars? Like how crazy would that be? Like the world's going to look different. It's going <laughs> to, I don't know how I'm getting from yeah. Jennifer Schmutz to that, but like I, it makes me believe that studios will just believe in making good content again. Yeah. And they'll see the value in just like letting a director cook and letting audiences decide on what's good and yeah maybe we'll get a third dinner for schmucks remake it's amazing <laughs> i don't know we should honestly write one sometimes um, when like movies are flops i kind of like when we have like legitimate criticisms of a movie on here i'm like what if we just like wrote it I there I mean we find that a lot lately where we're like being script doctors for movies that we cover. Um but you can you you can't help but do it sometimes where you see like you it's it's really hard when you like can pinpoint exactly where a movie is floundering and you so desperately just want to rewrite it in that moment and just cuz I do think that there are like a lot of movies like Jennifer Schmucks, like one or two rewrites could completely make this like good. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy. Like I would, I would just tone down all the girlfriend stuff, uh, take the Lucy punch character out of there. Um, I don't know, just make it like a little bit shorter, like make some scenes shorter, uh, try to tie in the Jermaine Clement stuff with some satire and class criticisms and, there's your movie i don't know like that's that's better that's 100 percent better (laughs) yeah um i mean it's just kind of the thing where it's just 
it's dull, it's boring, we deserve so much better, and, uh, yeah, yeah, Paul Rudd and Steve Carell deserve so much better, too. As someone that did, like, market research for movies back in the day, I Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, I cannot imagine a single person that did, like, exit polling for this movie, if you made the good version of this, would have been like, yeah, it was good and funny, I just wish there was more about Paul Rudd's girlfriend. Like, no one would have said that. Like, it's like, yeah. you know, that's what I always think about when I'm, like, when I, like, equate what I would have wanted to see or what would have made a movie better. I think about, like, well, would a person with this alternative version walk out of the theater and be like, actually, I did want this and this and this. Like, no. Like, I, I just can't imagine a person, like, actually wanting this shit in there. Um, I don't know. It, it's i mean this is again i you summed it up pretty well it's one of those interesting weird bad movies and i don't even want to say it's bad it's just kind of like mediocre i think that's more mm-hmm. it. like it's not terrible like I, it didn't offend me it didn't piss me off or anything you know what i mean yeah maybe a little bit of a waste of time but like hey like whatever <laughs> like you know it's a monday i think it's worth the, job. the thing about it it's just so, like, inoffensive, bland, like, doesn't take one risk, doesn't do anything. Like, it's just, yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> as the kids would say, mid. Mid. Um, mid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but hey, I, I I don't regret necessarily watching it. You know, I got to spend some time with the boys. Sometimes the boys are Steve Carell and Paul Rudd. And mm-hmm. um, I got some giggles, you know. I, I laughed like a few times here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. That's pretty natural. I mean, when Steve Carell is like riffing, like even when his batting average, even when the pitcher is this bad, his batting average is still solid is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Like, his delivery can make even bad jokes seem kind of funny in execution. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Although, I will say, with the Jay Roach of it all, um, he, I wonder what happened, because we definitely talked about this on the Meet the, uh, Meet the Parents episode, where he had mm-hmm. such a promising career at the beginning, and um, somewhere, I think it was after Meet the Fockers, that's kind of when it like, went downhill. Because mm-hmm. I'm looking now, it's Meet the Fox. Because, I mean, okay, just to start at the beginning. You have the the Austin Powers trilogy. Um, and then you got Meet the Parents. and Which I would say all four are great movies. Uh, I've never seen Mystery Alaska. but um, uh, it's, it's, it's weird. It's interesting. Um, I've heard... Like, it's definitely... Yeah, it's definitely not bad. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'll... Maybe watch it one day. Um, yeah, and then meet the Fock. <laughs> I don't know. I. Uh, yeah. But yeah, meet the Fockers. I thought was like mid. This is kind of mid. Uh, the campaign. I don't really remember. Um, I saw that in theaters when it came out, but I don't remember it yeah. terribly well. Uh, Trumbo. I remember when I saw Trumbo. I was like, Jay Roach directed that. Um, yeah. 
it's it's not a bad movie. It's just kind of like very like standard by the numbers. And then Bombshell, I remember thinking was just like a really big tonal like not. I wouldn't even call it misguided. It was just kind of like tonally confused. Yeah. Um, it was tackling such heavy subject matter with like a comedic lens that I didn't really understand what it was trying to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he's. I, he's in, yeah. I'm like so tired of like good comedic directors being like, I need to make political dramas or like political statements. Yeah. Like him and Adam McKay. I'm like, please just do go back. Please. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my I, God. I, I I find Adam McKay especially frustrating because I I mean I really like The Big Short. I thought The Big Short was really good, but uh, Vice I thought was pretty bad, and uh, Don't Look Up was also uh, really really rough. I mean I thought there were like some good performances in that movie, but uh, largely just like a nothing burger of a whatever the fuck the point was supposed to be. What climate change? Mm-hmm. Okay, like whatever. Like, I mean, sure, yeah, like, scary, but, like, I don't know, I don't need, like, a 150 million Netflix movie to tell me that, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but, because I think the thing I liked about The Big Short was that it played it completely straight, like, it wasn't trying to have its cake and eat it, too. Like, it had, like, funny moments, but it wasn't, like... The the com or the comedy in that movie was completely natural to the drama because they felt like real people making light of the situation. Um, mm-hmm. Vice and Don't Look Up like completely missed the point. Like they were completely just like lost in the sauce, overtly ambitious, but not even like in a interesting way. Just like nothing burgers, just like bad movies straight up. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, with Adam McKay, he's just like a weird weird guy now. Uh, and also, like, I will say his comedies are genuinely better than these movies. Like, yeah, step. Uh, he did Step Brothers, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the other guys, I'd say is better directed than Vice or Don't Look Up. Like he's I don't know, like not even just from like a trying to own him kind of way. Like these movies are like actually better. I <laughs> the best tweet I saw or one of the best Letterboxd review I saw was about Ricky Bobby. And it was saying this is genuinely a better film about the American political system than any of his, <laughs> any of his like dramas, uh, any of his Oscar yeah. movies. Uh, he has like a crazy like two thousands lineup. Like Adam McKay. I don't. Yeah, I don't get why. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm tired think- of it. I guess we just need more comedies. All I can do is count my blessings and hope to God his Parasite HBO series never happens. Um, mm-hmm. That's all I'm wanting. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, shut the fuck out of okay? Give, give me Anchorman 3 or get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't, I don't need it. I don't need any of that. Mm-hmm. Or the other guys, too. I'll take another guys, too. But that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah so I guess that's the final point. Make more studio comedies. Uh, make them better than this. Make them more like No Hard Feelings or something. Or anyone but you. Yeah. 
and not whatever the fuck Jennifer Schmucks is. Yeah. I, I think I, we can both agree, though, maybe, even though we don't like this movie and we don't necessarily need it, like, replicated, I wish we were still in an era where it could have been made. Yes. 1,000%. Yeah. So, for that, I look upon... I, I What's the fucking... Uh, the Twitter meme? It's like, I I remember you quite fondly from Papa's Orchard. Um, yeah. That's how I feel yeah. about Dinner for Schmucks. Oh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm I'm so glad that I got Kira to watch a movie where uh, Jermaine Clement uh, is like a senator for half of the movie, and like uh, uh, Octavia Spencer plays a medium talking about a dead fish, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Jeff Dunham's in it, so I'm I'm so glad yeah. I got cured this on a Monday. Thanks. <laughs> and we'll probably be back <laughs> next with some, with some more fuck shit. Yeah. Um, well. Yeah. And speaking of schmucks, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam underscore Nod Sandler. Uh, you can follow my, uh, like I plugged last week, my new podcast, or not new podcast, what am I saying? My new website, uh, the Cine Soup, soup as in like the soup that you eat, uh, dot com. Uh, it's January, so it's kind of slow. I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of January releases right now. Uh, but, you know, hey, still go follow the site. It's uh, I'll be rocking when February comes around. You can bet your ass I'll be talking about Madam Web. You know, I got to cover her on the Amazon right before her mom died when she was researching spiders. You know, got to got to cover that shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, you can catch me in the theater watching Madame Webb on opening night in IMAX. Um, second, I, I found wait. out it took place in 2003. I was all in. Yeah, um, it um, that movie looks like a travesty, like an actual like. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of movie that bankrupts a studio. Like, it, it, yeah, it looks yeah. bad. Yeah. I'm so excited. Uh, me too, um, but, like, dear God. Yeah. <laughs> you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Garlic Emoji. You can follow us on Twitter at Zillennial Canon, on Instagram at the Zillennial Canon. Give us some ratings and some reviews. And uh, listen in next week for something. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what yet, but, but something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, keep on uh, getting those calico critters, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, guys. Imagine if this like movie like gets big on TikTok because it's like, oh my I, god. It very well could. I mean, I think uh, Barry, whatever his name is, last name is, is uh, responsible for Mr. Cheese. Huh? Mr. Mr. Cheddar. Cheese. Oh, Mr. Cheddar. My bad. Mr. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Please, Mr. Yeah. Cheese is my father's name. Call me Mr. Cheddar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye, guys. Well, bye, guys. <laughs>